0: Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. The service was formerly known as AJHP Podcasts. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP.
1: This is William Selmer for AJHV Voices, speaking with the authors of an article entitled Implementation and First-Year Results of an Antimicrobial Stewardship Program at a Community Hospital. With me is Dr. James Bartlett, who is Clinical Pharmacist at Kenmore Mercy Hospital in Kenmore, New York. Also, Dr. Patricia Sciola, who is Director of Pharmacy at this institution and also director of pharmacy at two other institutions within the four hospital Catholic Health System in western New York State. Relevant to this article and to our discussion is of course the public health crisis being faced globally with respect to antimicrobial resistance and a recommendation by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in 2014 that all acute care hospitals, regardless of size, implement an antimicrobial stewardship program. Jim, I'm interested in something you include in the introduction to your paper. Uh, You have a quotation that says, small community hospitals still represent the frontier, the frontier for new antimicrobial stewardship programs. Please explain the context of that content for us.
2: Really, what I meant here was, was that when you look at the published literature and setting up our program here, you know, we started out with, with a literature review, and and really, we only found about four papers that dealt with antibiotic stewardship programs at hospitals of our size. It's so really mm-hmm. you know, kind of the cutoff that we were finding was less than 200 beds in, in the literature. And to date, there was really only four papers that we found coupled by the same group, and, and really, there wasn't much data there the majority of things were from your larger university centers and and we thought that it was you know something that's being done out there but not really something that's being being published on and with that in mind we we kept looking a bit and you know we did find that smaller hospitals were less likely to have these type of programs set up there was a survey that went out to ID physicians from IDSA a few years back hospitals with less than 200 beds is where the physicians were really more likely to say we did not have a stewardship program in place. Okay. So we thought that it was a good effort to undertake. Indeed.
1: And, and somewhat unusual then in terms of what's published in the literature. So that highlights the importance of, of your paper. I guess that leads me, Patty, to ask you to give us a brief overview of the study hospital and a few comments about this larger system that this hospital is a part of.
0: Sure. Kenmore Mercy is one hospital of a four hospital system. Our four hospital system is a Catholic health system in Western New York. Kenmore Mercy is a smaller community hospital. We have a probably about 150 beds. Again, it's a community hospital that has primarily med surge patients. We have a large orthopedic patient population. Uh, We are a Joint Commission accredited hospital, the hospital is accredited, we have an accredited stroke program as well as an accredited orthopedic program. And the hospital itself uses as our physician-based coverage for the 24-hour period, we use a hospitalist program.
1: Well, why don't you uh, pick up on that Patty and uh, tell us a bit about the staffing and the scope of services of the pharmacy department at this hospital.
0: We have approximately 21 full-time equivalents and of that, 12 of them are clinical staff pharmacists. Now, I say that as clinical staff pharmacists because that's the designation that all of our pharmacists hold. That is their title, that is their job description, whether their educational base is a BSO pharmacy or a PharmD. Our hours of operation are from 6.30 in the morning until 11 o'clock at night at seven days a week. And when we're closed, during the night, we have coverage by one of our other hospitals through a virtual process. We have a computerized prescriber order entry. We have barcode verification for all medications that are administered. Our pharmacists are in a decentralized function and primarily are out on the floors in the patient care areas where they will do order entry as well as provide clinical services for the patients in the particular unit that they're assigned to. Some of the scope of the clinical services that we provide to those patients include pain rounds. We call them comfort rounds. Uh, We do patient counseling. uh, We do medication reconciliation. We have somewhat of a presence in the emergency department, although that is limited to just a few hours a day. We are part of a healthcare team, including nurses, respiratory therapists, dieticians, pastoral care who meet daily out in the patient care areas to discuss all of the patients who are covered on any particular pharmacist service. And we also have IPPE and APPE students who rotate through our hospital with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, very progressive place to practice the profession the way it sounds. That's good. Thank you. Jim, let me go back to you. Could you describe the situation at the hospital with respect to antimicrobial use and the controls that were in place before the program that you describe in this paper was started?
2: You know, prior to formalizing this stewardship program at the beginning of 2012, we did have a lot of the controls kind of already in place for antimicrobial use. And as I described in the paper, these did continue through the study period. We control, like most institutions, we have a system-wide antimicrobial formulary, which we try to stick to. Uh, We do have formulary restrictions for some of the higher-cost agents, such as linazolid, daptomycin, tigacycline, the dechinocandins. We don't restrict these up front, but we do require an ID consult within 48 hours. We've got an automatic stop order, so any antibiotic that's ordered automatically stops after seven days and needs to be readdressed. We do also have automatic pharmacist dose adjustments for most antibiotics, and pharmacists are free to review patient cases and adjust as needed. We've got IV to PO conversion policies in place, Mm -hmm. and we also have automatic discontinuation of post-op antibiotics after 24 hours in accordance with skip guidelines. The last point for our IV aminoglycosides and IV vancomycin before starting the program, we already had pharmacy doing most of the pharmacokinetic dosing of those. And we did have an extended infusion Piptazo protocol in place.
1: Well, given that as background, then why did you start this new program and what were its objectives?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we had all those measures in place, but, you know, as a lot of institutions, I think, run into you know, a lot of policies getting put in place, but it, you know, it may be difficult to, to follow through with everything, to do everything optimally. So, really, what we wanted to do with starting this program was to have a real focused effort on antibiotic use, we wanted to you know, ensure the best possible and appropriate use of antibiotics, looking at selection, dosing, route of administration, and also duration of therapy. From a financial standpoint, we were charged with decreasing antibiotic expenditures by $200,000 in the first year. So that was a large part of it, but also while optimizing care. And we were looking to achieve a 75% acceptance rate with our recommendations. Really, the main objective was to take that focused look at antibiotics, try to maximize everything, and in doing so, decrease our expenditures. Okay.
1: Well, I guess uh, for a listener to understand uh, the the program that we're referring to here, it would be helpful to have you talk a little bit about some of the key operational facets of the program. Could you do that, Jim?
2: Now, where the program is today, you know, it's evolved a bit from where we started. So I'll, I'll take it back to the beginning of the program. Okay. And then from there, kind of move forward to what we've done with it and where we are today. I worked in the the role of the antibiotic stewardship pharmacist for the first few months, developing kind of the, the pharmacist role in the program. Mm-hmm. So it was a daily review of each patient in the hospital on antimicrobials, pulling patient data, reviewing cases, and identifying those that really needed to be addressed with ID physician. We have... ID physician support five days a week, where we've got up to a two-hour meeting each day, and you know, discuss those cases where redeem there there may be some issues. So from the start, it was a very broad program. Being a smaller hospital, we felt we didn't need to focus on you know just the few high-cost items. You know we could really take a, a global approach, run down you know those things that might not seem all that important in the individual case, but we mm-hmm. thought that as a whole, it would greatly improve overall practice at the hospital. You know, so small streamlining efforts, things that might not really save money in the short term, but overall affect the prescribing practices throughout the hospital. During that time, I also had a focused effort on training the rest of the pharmacist staff. So it wasn't just, you know, working the program was also trying to develop it so that everyone else could do the exact same thing. We didn't want to set up a program where I was going to be tied to it, you know, five days a week, and then I go out on vacation and it can't function. We were looking at setting up a robust program where every pharmacist was able to rotate through the position, benefit from learning with the ID physician, and take that knowledge in their other roles throughout the hospital. So we've now got pharmacists that are making antibiotic stewardship-type recommendations throughout different job functions. So it's really a, a broad-reaching program. To go back, I mentioned the five-day ID physician support. That's kind of a novel piece with our program. We're actually part of an accountable care organization within our system We were able to, at the individual hospital, keep the entire program payroll neutral. We restructured the clinical pharmacy services a little bit by taking antibiotic requirements away from the other pharmacists. We were able to increase the number of patients that they were able to monitor and have one person focus on antibiotics. From the physician side, we were able to get funding through the independent physicians association that's associated with our ACO. So really the hospital here itself had nothing to fund. It was kind of a restructuring, and then outside support within the ACO that was able to fund the program. Okay.
1: You know, it strikes me, Jim, that it probably would be also good to discuss for listeners the training, the experience level of your pharmacist staff, residency trained, uh, board certification, any uh, added qualifications of that nature among your staff?
2: At this point, the entire program is run without any postgraduate formalized training in the form of residencies. We've got a mix of, as Patty alluded to, PharmDs and uh, Bachelors of Pharmacy. And everyone is able to function very well within the program. You know, kind of all been uh, learned throughout the program, learned from the ID physicians. Myself, I went through certification programs through the New York State Council of Health Systems Pharmacists and also the Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists through their stewardship training and was able to, to use that information to help train the staff here and guide some of the interventions that we make. But really, you know, everyone's able to do it without that residency training. As a lot of the papers and, and guidelines that have come out have kind of mentioned that there's definitely not an abundance and there's not really even enough infectious disease trained pharmacists. So other people need to step up into those roles and fill in where they can.
1: Okay, so you've described the program here, uh, and the paper focuses on your first year results. Could you give us a little summary of uh, how all this turned out within the first year?
2: Sure. Yeah, In the first year, we were aiming to decrease expenditures by 200000 and that was a, a pretty lofty goal from kind of pre-implementation number of about 570000 We didn't quite reach that mark, but we did see acquisition costs decrease by 25.5%. We were able to bring that down to just over $424,000. We did see an increase in our number of discharges and also our our total number of patient days. So we were able to see that 25% decrease in cost while our overall census was increasing. So looking at that as on a cost per discharge basis, we had a 31% decrease in the cost per discharge. We took these numbers and we looked at defined daily doses per thousand patient days. You know, kind of get more of a external benchmark, and we did see a decrease there of almost 18%.
1: Okay, well, that's an impressive uh, finding. And is it your sense that uh, this is going to be sustainable?
2: To see that percentage of savings each year, no, Uh, as a lot of programs have seen. You know, that first year you get a large savings, and then after that, kind of hope to maintain and maybe even see a slight increase. What we have found in subsequent years, we are still decreasing, not to that extent, but We definitely haven't seen any rebound effect on that. I was going to add one other thing in there, because what I mentioned before focused on some of the dollars and cents and defined daily doses overall usage. Another interesting finding that we had was on our increase in automatic IV to PO conversions that were initiated by the pharmacist. From the pre-implementation year, 2011, to the current study year, we had a 638% increase in IV to PO conversions. There was no change in our policy there. Our patient demographics remain pretty constant. We saw about the same level of patient, but we had a 638% increase. I look at that and I think that, you know, charging that one particular person, kind of on a rotating basis, but, you know, somebody accountable for looking at that really helped to to increase our numbers there. You know, that's kind of the, the hard numbers we were able to look at. But anecdotally, we got feedback from managed care saying that for outpatients, they were seeing a significant decrease in the IV antibiotics that they were having to use. Oh, so not something we even had thought about ahead of time, nothing we were looking at, but came up and they were saying their business was kind of kind of decreasing, which they, mm-hmm. they blamed us for.
1: <laughs> Ironic, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, as we draw to a close here, maybe uh, both uh, you, Jim, and uh, Patty will want to comment on this, but I'm curious, uh, based on these results then, has this hospital and the larger system change any practices on an ongoing basis in terms of pharmacist involvement in antimicrobial stewardship.
0: Well, actually, all of the before sites within the hospital system have adopted stronger antibiotic stewardship program based on the significant results seen at Kenmore Mercy. So I think kind of success has helped us throughout the system look at you know what are some of the barriers that Kenmore encountered and what are some of the easy wins that, that we can look at overcoming those barriers throughout the system.
2: You know, other practice changes, I think, on a smaller scale that we've noticed are just really in the individual prescribing practices, you know, things that we were having to work hard at up front you know, now are kind of automatic. We're able to move our focus a bit and we're trying to expand our, our input, I guess getting more of a presence in the ER, looking at starting a more formalized rounds down in the ICU between the stewardship team and the, the intensivists down there. So really things that, you know, initially were problems, you know, they've pretty much are under control and we're able to, to move our focus a bit.
1: Well, going back to you, Patty, uh, what advice do you have for pharmacy practice leaders at other smaller hospitals who are thinking about starting an antimicrobial stewardship program?
0: In retrospect, some of the reasons that helped us become so successful was first that that we did involve all of the pharmacists. Really, you need to think that stewardship is a 24-7 process. It isn't something that happens just a few days and just focused on when one particular pharmacist is here. So that education involving all of the pharmacists was very important. I was also important as we developed the team that we had a leadership team that included pharmacy, infection control, nursing, and administration. Having administration there with us at the table in the beginning as we look at what our goals should be, as we look at what our successes are, as we look at what the barriers are, having the people from the C-suite there at the table with us helped us continue to move forward when there were barriers that we might have faced. And I think always, as every you know, with any case, to follow metrics. Uh, Jim talked a little bit about some of the metrics that were out there in the literature. So it was important to compare ourselves with information that was already out there to make sure that we were staying on track and and that we were improving. Jim, do you have anything to add?
2: I think Patty said that pretty well. From a a day-to-day operations component, it's a lot of hard work but the benefits of the stewardship program definitely outweigh the input and really is something that should be looked at very strongly for all institutions. Right.
1: Well, Dr. James Bartlett, Dr. Patricia Sciola, uh, thank you so much for taking time to discuss with AJHP Voices your AJHP paper on an antimicrobial stewardship program in a smaller community hospital.
0: That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.